0: Local news, culture, and NPR
1: from the WJFF studios in Liberty, New York. This is Radio ChatSkill. I'm Tim Bruno. On today's show, a Sullivan County couple say they're being harassed by a neighbor for being gay, but that neighbor says the dispute is about cats and not sexual orientation. We speak to Wade St. Germain, the openly gay business owner of Cabernet Franks, the music venue in Parksville, about the long-simmering dispute. Housing Crisis, a new report by Hudson Valley Pattern for Progress, underscores that New York is lagging behind its neighboring states to create policies addressing the severe underproduction of housing and the affordability crisis. We'll get more details from Pattern for Progress CEO Adam Bosch about how New York's neighbors are taking state-level actions to address the housing crisis, plus a new group textile show opening tomorrow at the Derby called Color Thread Cloth, and the first show of the Wayne County Arts Alliance season. First, the news.
2: Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Corva Coleman. Some tech world heavyweights are expected to testify today at a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing on child sexual exploitation online. From Member station KQED, Rachel Myro reports the chief executives of Meta, X, TikTok, Snap, and Discord are scheduled to speak.
3: Tech experts and child advocates alike claim all the major social media platforms are failing to protect children and in some cases are algorithmically turbocharging the threats. Many of the issues have been detailed repeatedly on Capitol Hill by whistleblowers at hearings like the Senate Judiciary Committee's own last February. There's been bipartisan support for legislation, past and present, that aims to address child exploitation, but lawmakers on both sides of the aisle complain Silicon Valley lobbyists are well-financed. And so far, effective at shutting down the legislative efforts before they make it into law. For NPR News, I'm Rachel Miro.
2: Early this morning, the House Homeland Security Committee voted on party lines and approved articles of impeachment against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Republicans claim he's illegally allowing migrants to cross the border. Democrats say Republicans are using this to win elections. Fighting has intensified again in Gaza between the Israeli military and Hamas militants. This comes as talks last weekend over ending the conflict in Gaza were described as constructive. Qatar is helping broker these talks, which also include the U.S. The prime minister of Qatar is Sheikh Mohammed bin Abdul Rahman bin Jassim al Thani, He suggests that the Israeli approach to destroying Hamas through warfare is not working.
0: We have seen the result of the war right now. More than 25,000 being killed, two-thirds of them are children and uh, and women. Is that part of eradicating Hamas? If you want to replace an idea, you have to present a better idea. The better idea is prospects for the Palestinians, is a political horizon, and that's what all of us, we are seeking.
2: He spoke to NPR's morning edition. Stocks opened mixed this morning as investors watch for the next move by the Federal Reserve. NPR's Scott Horsley reports the Dow Jones Industrial Average jumped nearly 10 points in early trading.
4: The Fed is widely expected to hold interest rates steady when it wraps up a two-day policy meeting this afternoon. But investors are divided over when the central bank might start cutting interest rates. Some expect to cut as early as the Fed's next meeting in March. Others think it will take longer before borrowing costs start coming down. Inflation watchdogs at the Fed were likely reassured by a new report from the Labor Department showing the cost of labor rose less than expected in the final months of last year. Employers' costs for workers rose just nine-tenths of 1% in October, November, and December. That's a smaller increase than the previous quarter, suggesting labor costs are putting less upward pressure on prices. Scott Horsley, NPR News, Washington.
2: You're listening to NPR News from Washington. New York City police will soon be required to record demographic information about all the people they stop for questioning, even if no crime is suspected. That information includes race, This comes after New York City police recently pulled over a black city council member without initially giving a reason. Council member Yusuf Salam is one of the Central Park Five who was wrongfully convicted of rape in 1990. Tennis greats Chris Evert and Martina Navratilova have written a column in the Washington Post. They're urging the Women's Tennis Association against holding the WTA's final matches in Saudi Arabia, citing human rights concerns. NPR's Aya Batrahi reports Saudi Arabia is pushing back.
0: Everton and Navratilova say WTA tour officials aren't consulting adequately with players as they consider holding the final matches in Saudi Arabia, which the tennis champions say would be, quote, entirely incompatible with the spirit of women's tennis. Both note that while they respect diverse cultures and religion, the tournament shouldn't be held in a country which does not see women as equal under male guardianship laws. Saudi Arabia's ambassador to the U.S., Princess Reema Bint Bandar, hit back in a lengthy statement, saying the criticism is based on Western-centric, outdated stereotypes and that no place is perfect for women. She notes Saudi Arabia has made progress by dismantling rules that once banned women from traveling abroad or working without male approval. Aya and Pierre News.
2: The U.S. Air Force says an American F-16 fighter jet has crashed off the coast of South Korea. The pilot ejected safely. The U.S. military says the pilot had an emergency during the flight. The cause is being investigated. I'm Corva Coleman, NPR News.
1: Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the Doris Duke Foundation, which aims to support the well-being of people and the planet for a more creative, equitable, and sustainable future. And listeners like you who donate to this NPR station. Welcome back to Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. Wade St. Germain and his husband RJ Baker are the openly gay business owners of Cabernet Franks, the music venue in Parksville. For several years, they say they've been harassed by a neighbor for being gay, but that neighbor says their dispute is about cats and not sexual orientation. The Sullivan County District Attorney's Office confirms the couple has a restraining order against their neighbor, Joe Peters, and that there's a long list of pending criminal charges but officials say there's no evidence to show that any of the incidents are hate crimes. And the Peters family says the incidents are part of a long time dispute between both sets of neighbors over land and stray cats. In the latest development, St. Germain and Barker have been ordered to a uh, Baker have been ordered to appear in the Liberty town court today to, to potentially face misdemeanor charges. Joining us now is Wade St. Germain, co-owner of Cabernet Franks. Wade, thank you for joining us.
5: Uh, thank you for having me on, Tim.
1: I um, kind of, you know, uh, put this in context in a nutshell in the intro, but can you tell people who may not be familiar with this situation what's going on? How how long has this dispute been going on with your neighbor, and and how did it begin?
5: Uh, Well, it's been going on for about eight years, uh, and uh, it basically uh, started uh, about a year after our neighbor's wife passed away. He became, uh, you know, a, a somewhat more mentally disturbed, I think, and uh, we were in his sights, and, uh, you know, we've been assaulted, we've been uh, stalked and harassed. He's been uh, imprisoned three times for violating orders of protection, and again, he has multiple charges pending against him. Uh, the DA took three felony charges in contempt in the first, because since he got out of jail last time, he has been found to violate the order of protection three times, and Instead of giving one to four years sentence recommendation, they have offered him a 30-day plea deal. Uh, After that, uh, they took two of the the charges that are against us are based on uh, a photograph of our neighbor exposing himself and urinating on our property. And uh, a camera, which uh, he asserts is looking into his bathroom and bedroom. This camera uh, looks straight down our building at another camera, which was smashed off last year. Uh, that's the only way to protect that camera. And that camera caught our neighbor shoveling uh, dirty cat litter and cat food underneath our building. And so they want that camera removed. Uh, and that resulted in the contempt in the first charge. So now the, the things that we have you know provided, the evidence that we have provided is being used against us. And uh, it's bad enough having a stalker and trying to run a business, working 70 hours a week and looking after RJ's mom. We have real problems that are not caused by stalkers. You know, just trying to get through life, and this is just really egregious and heinous
1: and you're you're a business owner we mentioned Cabernet frank's uh a music venue nightclub. does it have anything to do with with the business itself or or is it is it something else this dispute
5: The dispute is about a homophobe who's mentally unstable who has you know confessed uh, and been imprisoned for his homophobic stalking and harassment. And now the DA can say it's not a hate crime. they have been saying this for eight years, but we have sent plenty of documentation. He has posted online virulent homophobic hate. And, uh, you know, we have, we have recently sent the DA uh, a video clip where he is threatening. I won't even say the words, but physically threatening in an anti-gay way, very clearly, with words that I don't want to get arrested again. So I'm not going to tell you what he said, because I have no Faith in uh, Sullivan County law enforcement from this point forward, all of our faith has been eroded. Mm.
1: What, why did you get the order of protection uh, in the first place? What, what led to that? Uh,
5: in the first place, it was because Joe Peters headbutted my husband on our property. And so uh, during that, he was convicted for that, but the judge declined to sentence for so long uh, that uh, it, it was uh, thrown out. Mm-hmm. But that's where the first order of protection came from.
1: And then we mentioned in the introduction that your neighbor claims that this dispute involves cats. Um, what what is that all about?
5: Well, long before uh, the issue of him feeding stray cats under our building and throwing di- dirty litter and throwing dog feces at the side of our building, uh, he was already uh, parking broken down cars in front of our business office and. Getting into those cars with people for brief periods of time, we told him he had to stop that and move his broken-down car and stop, you know, doing things to our property, and uh, you know that that was where he had a RJ was during that period.
1: And and the 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 continuing. Um... Well, I guess the question is, do you fear for, you know, your safety just, you know, being in the business? Of course, I don't go
5: out the front door of my business. I don't walk the rail trail behind our house. I have a puppy that I can't walk there. I, you know, um, I don't don't ever drive off by myself because he followed me one time and tried to run me off the road, which I provided, uh, you know, the information, video clips and witnesses, and the police declined to uh, investigate that. So, uh, yes, I feel unsafe. I know that the police have, you know, used this tactic against us. I no longer feel, we don't feel that we can live next to him. And, uh, you know, we drove back from Buffalo today and we were dreading returning to Sullivan County. And that is sad because we love our community here. The people that come to Cabernet Franks and all of our supporters are like family and friends. And it's such a shame that everything that we've built, you know, this beautiful uh, music venue where everybody is accepted and everybody is, you know, uh, and then to be treated like second class citizens because we're gay is just reprehensible.
1: You said you dreaded coming back. Um, are you thinking about your future here in Sullivan County?
5: Oh, yes. We're, we, we don't see a future in Sullivan County. Uh, we are listing our properties. We're in the process of doing that. Um, but that's going to take quite a while because obviously, you know, we're, <laughs> we need to keep living. After this somewhere else and uh, but the, we don 't really know exactly what we 're going to do right now uh, my eighty three year old mother in law lives with us and you know needs our attention uh, and we have to have somewhere where she is safe, and she's undergoing this harassment with us, you know, and was with us when we were handcuffed and driven you know in the back of a cruiser to be given orders of protection against us and against us violating his dogs, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> This is, and we already have an order of protection in place until 2030. And we abide by that, mostly because I'm scared of him, but also because an order of protection is binding in both directions. If I ever did anything to him or his property, he would call, and I would be arrested. You know, so, uh, yeah, we don't feel safe here, uh, and uh, we have to find a place to live, stat, where we're safe. Um, I, you know, I, don't, I, I feel that the police are working you know as as an arm of Joe Peters stocking now, and that's just a terrible shame and the d a is at the top of that chain
1: <sighs> if you're if you're just joining us, we're talking to Wade Saint Germain, the co-owner of uh Cabernet Franks in Parksville, uh talking about a long running dispute with his neighbor of harassment. Now, your neighbor Joe Peters has been quoted as saying that uh quote are making it into something it's not. It has nothing to do with them being gay. I don't care what you do behind closed doors, end quote. And the family also says they've been subjected to harassment. What, what is your response to, to that?
5: This is uh, an attempt to make a false equivalency. Joe Peters has been imprisoned three times, and he has confessed to anti-gay stalking and harassment, you know, in both seminal, uh, civil and criminal court. There is no equivalency here. These are false charges, and we will prove that this afternoon in court.
1: So today in court, it's it's you who are facing these misdemeanor charges. It, what, you On a Facebook post mentioned that the deputy who took the complaint from your neighbor about this specific incident didn't have any prior knowledge of this case. So um, what do you think your chances are in terms of the court appearance
5: today? Well, it should be thrown out, but I... No longer expect any kind of justice. So, uh, you know, uh, we have won in a way, no matter what, because uh, you know, I, I made a post about this, and it's been shared almost a hundred times. So the community—it has galvanized the community, and that is really our only safety. We don't—we don't feel protected by the police, by the DA, and uh, certainly not by our stalker. But our community is standing strong, and they're going to appear today at court.
1: I was going to ask you about community support. It, it seems as if uh, throughout the years you've received a lot of community support.
5: Yeah, we are surrounded by, and you know, we are often the only gay people in our bar. <laughs> we have huge support from, you know, every every aspect of all walks of life of Sullivan County. It's people that like to have a good time. People come you know, not in spite of us being gay, but because they love who we are and they love what we do. And we spend seventy hours a week, you know, running that bar. And that the the, the money that we make there has to come and pay the mortgage of this giant building, which was supposed to be a film production studio, uh, which you know the Peters have destroyed. Um, so you know, think of, think of all that income over over eight years that has been stripped away from us, and now we have to appear in court in a false equivalency charge.
1: Just talking to you this morning, um, and you—you know—before we got on the air, you—I asked how you were doing. You said not good, um, and—and it's—it's sad to hear you say that you're—you don't see a future in, in Sullivan County. Um, did you f- ever see it kind of coming to this?
5: You know, we—we we have kept resetting over the years, and uh, you know, we've got our mom with us. You know, we—we we haven't been able to uh, operate the studio, so we live here. This is our home and uh you know with <laughs> this time with the police doing what they have done and the DA uh we don't see a future here that this mm-hmm. is you know if if you can be stopped and then they take a complaint from the stalker and they they send someone who has no prior knowledge doesn't even know that we have an ex- existing order of protection you know and that, and that the, the camera that they are claiming is peeping is actually a camera that got him arrested on a felony uh, contempt in the first charge. You know, no wonder he wants that camera down.
1: (sighs) You know, there are several new people to the area. Some of them, LGBTQ, um, many uh, straight allies. Um, Many might be surprised to hear this level of um, anti-LGBTQ, you know, uh, affect this, this, this sense in the area Um, it's not surprising to you, though. I mean, just beyond this particular case that's happening with you, there's been a national increase in anti-LGBTQ hate crimes. Um, Is it something that's, you know, something people need to take a closer look at?
5: Absolutely. They need to take a closer look at it. But right here in Sullivan County, especially, we are dealing with now institutional homophobia, which is even more frightening than the stalker himself. You know, if if they are basically saying to us, we will not enforce your order of protection. We will allow your stalker to continue to stalk and harass you. And more than that, we want them to keep doing it because you are gay and you deserve it. You know, and that's that's how we feel. And it's devastating. It's, uh, you know, just a shocking shame and a shameful day for uh, law enforcement in Sullivan County.
1: Cabernet Frank's has always been a bar venue that uh, has been welcoming to everyone as you've said a place where everyone can come together and feel comfortable and safe um I mean there's some irony there that the owners of that place don't feel safe where they are um How do you feel about having to like close this business and 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 you know the effect that has on the community?
5: Well, it's heartbreaking you know um we give a hundred percent and we give a hundred percent to this community and they give a hundred percent that and that one person and his family are able to just rampage and destroy this tiny hamlet, this tiny main street. You know, other people uh, are not opening their businesses. They're waiting for this to go away. And, you know, we can't make it go away. if Without law enforcement enforcing our order of protection and not arresting us and giving us, uh, you know, an order of protection, Like you, how can you have two orders of protection like that? That's ridiculous. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's it's incredibly sad. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was RJ's dream to open this uh, studio, and we had some good productions, you know, up until our neighbor made it impossible by harassing. Then we tried to pivot to to Airbnb, and Airbnb management uh, told us that uh, the guests were being threatened and that we were not allowed to, uh, you know, be on their platform anymore. So even that was taken away. And now this. It's, it's like they just pulled a rug right out from under us and it's because we're gay. I don't believe that a straight couple would be treated this way by the police, the DA, or be allowed. Uh, it's only the community that keeps us safe. It's only our community.
1: How is RJ doing?
5: He's, he is devastated. You know, we, as I say, we were driving back from Buffalo, you know, by necessity, uh, having to go there to help out with a bunch of metal, medical appointments for, you know, our mom and, uh, to have to return to this to be treated like this, to be treated like criminals after eight years of this. And and what the charges are based on are evidence that we provided to show violations of the order of protection. This is a clear warning shot that we are not supposed to complain anymore and we're supposed to lay down and take it.
1: Well, I want to thank you for joining us today, Wade. It's a difficult subject to talk about, obviously, uh, painful, not only because of this long-running dispute, but what it's led to, um, you know, leaving the area. What is it you want folks to know in the community, uh, about this, the situation before we go?
5: Well, I, I think the most important lesson here is that the community can come together and the community has come together and the community is galvanized. Our friends and family, are with us. And that is a beautiful thing. So stand up to injustice. Just because someone's wearing a badge or is in an office does not mean that they are your friend or have your best interests or the best interests of the community in mind at all times. And it's important to hold them accountable. And our community is holding them accountable today.
1: Wade St. Germain, the co-owner of Cabernet Franks in Parksville. Wade, thank you so much for joining us this morning.
5: Thank you very much, Tim. We really appreciate you. Thank you.
1: All right, we'll take a break. And when we come back, the housing crisis in New York, a new report by Hudson Valley Pattern for Progress underscores that New York is lagging behind its neighboring states to create policies addressing the severe underproduction of housing and the affordability crisis. We'll hear from the CEO of Hudson Valley Pattern for Progress next. This is Radio
5: Chatskill. This week on the Retro Cocktail Hour, we'll hear the mambo beat of Tito Puente, private-eyed jazz from a 50s film noir, and the exotic sounds of Arthur Lyman. I'm Daryl Brogdon. Why not join me where the music's shaken, not stirred? The Retro Cocktail Hour, coming up tonight at 7 on Radio Catskill.
6: There's one thing in mathematics you're not allowed to do. On the next radio lab, this dividing by zero. Dividing by zero.
3: What happens when you divide by zero?
6: All sorts of craziness.
3: Where everything is the same.
6: What might the other reality
4: be? That would break math as we know it.
6: Mathematics is a chronicle of humans' understanding of reality. That's
7: on the next radio lab.
6: This afternoon at one on Radio Catskill. Support for Radio Catskill comes from Farm Arts Collective, located on Willow Wisp Organic Farm in Damascus, Pennsylvania. Farm Arts Collective's programs intersect the practices of farming, performance, food, and ecology. FarmArtsCollective.org From The Community Foundation
4: of Orange and Sullivan, a publicly supported philanthropic institution, CFOSNY.org, and from listeners like you, who donate at wjffradio.org.
1: You're listening to Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. Governor Kathy Hochul's controversial housing plan proposed last year would have mandated the construction of housing projects across New York, allowing the state in some cases to circumvent local zoning officials to get the job done. But the plan fell through in Albany, facing objections by rural and suburban lawmakers concerned about the, quote, home rule, the autonomy of local governments to lead their communities. Hochul's updated plan outlined in her budget this month now opts for incentives over mandates. But a new report by Hudson Valley Pattern for Progress argues New York can balance the two to combat its housing crisis because states like New Jersey and Massachusetts are already doing it. Hudson Valley Pattern for Progress is a nonprofit organization providing objective research planning and educational training throughout the region. From the New York Public News Network, Pattern President and CEO Adam Bosch spoke with WAMC Hudson Valley Bureau Chief Jesse King.
6: Our neighbors have done far, far more than we have. And you could argue that essentially we've done nothing. We've done incentives. Everybody has incentives. But what have we done to balance home rule with real strategies and mandates that require home rule to be balanced with the imperative to meet regional needs. Because there is case law in New York going back many decades that says your decisions about zoning cannot only consider the needs within your municipal boundaries that you have to consider regional needs when you're making zoning decisions in your community. Home rule is not a God-given right. Home rule is a piece of enabling legislation that the state passes down to allow communities to make their own decisions about how they're going to govern themselves, how their communities are going to be designed. But home rule comes within the context of the requirement that those communities act in a way that meets the greater good and meets regional needs.
0: So what specifically are other states doing to increase their housing stock?
6: The states that surround us have paired home rule up with reasonable mandates to ensure that, yes, the towns can design themselves, the towns can govern themselves, But they have to do it within a specific context that meets the statewide and regional needs. So in Massachusetts, for example, if you are in a town or in a town that's adjacent to a train, bus, subway or ferry stop, you have to have at least one zone that allows density of 15 units per acre. It's not a question. It's a requirement. You can design it however you want. You can put it wherever you want within a half mile, but you have to do it. If you're a developer in some of these states and a municipality is holding you up and putting onerous conditions on you and trying to get rid of its multifamily zones, they have, you know, builders remedies and boards you can go to to appeal this. And in Massachusetts, if your municipality has more than 10 percent affordable housing, You're not subject to that abort in that appeals process because you have met your part of the regional need. Right. In New Jersey, they have they have something going back decades that requires every town to plan to meet its regional needs for housing based on population and economic trends that are reassessed every 10 years. And you have to put together a plan how you're going to meet your portion of the statewide share to meet the housing needs of your neighbors. So these are just some of the things. Right. Vermont, not a home rule state. Right. Vermont's the only state that surrounds us. That's not home rule. But even in Vermont. Right. If you are served by public water and sewer, you have to zone for a for a minimum of five dwelling units per acre. Right. And all that says Massachusetts, Vermont. If we're investing in public infrastructure, we want to try to maximize the amount of housing. That's going to take advantage of the public infrastructure that exists. It's really, really startling to cast what the other states are doing against what we are doing, because they are taking case law and putting it into action. They're taking statewide needs and putting it into action in the form of requirements, in the form of strategies, in the form of mandates. And we are not doing any of that.
0: You know, one explanation that I've heard when it comes to the importance of home rule has been that some communities in the Hudson Valley don't physically have the infrastructure to handle growth mandates. They don't have the resources or the sewer and water systems because they weren't designed to handle a large population. Um, So how do you reconcile that? Are you saying that's not necessarily the case here or is there some infrastructure work that needs to happen first?
6: So so there is some truth in the fact that our infrastructure is in many cases not in a state of good repair and in some places not large enough to accommodate uh, the type of housing that we need, right? So the capacity of some of our infrastructure is not large enough to allow for a lot of additional housing. But guess what? That's not true everywhere. There are some places where the infrastructure can handle a lot more. There are some places where we should be looking to update the infrastructure so that it can allow more housing. When it comes to home rule, the thing that this report shows that is important is that we can balance home rule with the need to meet statewide and regional interests. When it comes to housing, we can still allow and should still allow communities to design themselves, communities to govern themselves. But we can't what we can't allow is places to just shut the door behind them and say, we like our town. Nobody else is allowed in. That is a violation of case law. It's again, it's not up for debate. It's a violation of case law. And there is a history of court cases in the state where the courts have upheld this time, upheld this time after time. Now. How do we do it? We shouldn't do it through the courts. But what we should do is sit down as a legislature, as a state, and with wide open eyes say, hey, we got a problem. Ninety seven out of our hundred and twenty school districts are shrinking. We've lost tens of thousands of kids from the state. And the Hudson Valley itself has lost one hundred and thirty five thousand people in twenty five years to a net outward migration. The number one reason they cite for leaving is housing. So we've kind of got a decision between are we going to do something about it or are we going to continue to let the region hollow out?
0: Well, lastly, when we spoke about Pattern's out-of-reach report last year, you said you felt the key to fighting the housing crisis was actually, you know, building different types of housing. When people talk about their personal goals, they often describe owning a home, not necessarily renting an apartment. But a lot of the projects being suggested right now are for affordable multi-unit apartment buildings. So from your perspective, what's it going to take to make home ownership and not necessarily renting more feasible, I guess, in the Hudson Valley?
6: So the first thing we need to do is acknowledge that home ownership has a lot of different looks and shapes and feels, right? Home ownership is not just a certain size home on a two acre lot. Home ownership looks like cooperative ownership where you have multiple units that can be owned in a single building. Home ownership looks like what it did when my grandparents owned a home in the city of Newburgh and it was on a quarter acre lot and it was a smaller home. Home ownership looks like um, mobile home parks in some of our rural areas that provide a pathway for people to get into homeownership and then they hop to a different kind of home from there. We need to understand that home ownership is not homogeneous. It doesn't have, take one look and shape, right? So we need to make sure that our zoning is set up to allow for different styles of homeownership and different sizes. Um, we really need to... You know, I think we made a big mistake back, if you th- if you think about it, um, and I don't know how old you are, but I remember in the 90s, you know, when I, when I was a kid in the 90s, we got the newspaper and uh, that was when the term McMansion became popular, right? And a lot of our region ended up being zoned and ultimately built out for McMansions that were on big lots on cul-de-sacs, right? And sort of sounds like a stereotype, but big chunks of our region were built out that way. What we're finding now is that the demand for housing and people's ability to afford housing is very, very different from that. And yet our zoning still allows essentially that, that pattern of development. So what we need to do is we need to adjust that. You know, people want to live in smaller homes on smaller lots. People want to live in walkable communities in ownership models where it's not detached units. It might be attached units that are either townhomes or cooperative units. Not to repeat myself, but what we really need to do is to make sure that our zoning is modern and updated, to make sure that our zoning allows for what developers are trying to build, and that our zoning also matches the desire for different styles and types of housing that the market is looking for. Um, and we can't just chase the person with a lot of pocket cash who wants to move up from New York City and pay all money for a house that's large on a big lot. Otherwise, we risk continuing to lose our full-time residents who are picking up and going elsewhere. And guess where they're going? They're going to the states that are building a lot of housing.
1: That was Hudson Valley Pattern for Progress President and CEO Adam Bosch speaking with WAMC's Hudson Valley Bureau Chief Jesse King and able to bring you that story thanks to our partnership with the New York Public News Network. You can find that report on the housing crisis from Hudson Valley Pattern for Progress at their website, pattern-for-progress.org. We'll take a break and we'll learn more about a group textile show premiering tomorrow at the Derby. This is Radio Chatskill. Hey,
7: it's Steven Skeet. And I'm Aisha Roscoe.
4: One of the things you can count on from NPR and this station, we've got your back. When it comes to reporting the news, bringing you facts you can count on. You can help by donating a vehicle you no longer need.
7: That car could be worth hundreds of dollars in support or more as a donation. Think about it. We accept any vehicle, running or not, including cars, trucks, boats, RVs, motorcycles, and more. Donate at wjffradio.org. As the Taliban came back to power last summer, Shabana Rasij Rasukh managed to evacuate her entire school of
3: girls to Rwanda. Four days later, August 29th, is when we resumed classes for our students. What leadership
7: looks like, even when you're forced to flee your country. That's next time on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. Friday afternoon at 1 on Radio Catskill.
1: This is Radio Catskill. I'm Tim Bruno. Color Thread Cloth is an upcoming group textile show at the Darby Hotel, which is just across the bridge from Narrowsburg. It's tomorrow afternoon, and Valerie Manzi spoke to Ari Kravitz, the new owner of the Darby, and Randall Lane and Judy Brown of Somewhere Co about this group show
3: so Avi, you are the new owner of the darby I am yes, how did that happen?
8: I really for a long time have wanted to be in hospitality yes i I guess for lack of better words i people pleaser or I want to create environments and spaces for people to enjoy.
3: That's admirable.
9: So
8: <laughs> a few years back I got a house just down the road and we've been Airbnb Airbnb it, excuse me. And it's just it's just been such a wonderful experience. So like, you know, why not take that to twenty seven rooms?
3: <laughs> okay. <laughs> and a restaurant and a bar? Um
8: or just a bar. <laughs> right now, it's just a bar. We opened that two days ago. And eventually, we will have a food program. It won't be formal dining, but there'll be bar food, breakfast, lunch.
3: Good, yeah. good. And Randall,
4: <laughs> yes, ma'am.
3: you're involved in this project, but you're not an owner of the Derby. No. And you are?
4: Uh, well, I'm a artist and designer that's moved to the area recently, uh, 2021, to do a pop-up shop project in narrowsburg
3: which was called It
4: was called somewhere co and it was on uh, erie avenue right across from the union uh-huh. and we just love the area and we ended up staying and we've been coming to the area for about 16 17 years because we're good friends with the two guys that own two queens coffee in there
8: funny we're <laughs> borrowing a coffee maker from them oh, good. <laughs> there we go. good good good
3: it all good comes for with... them right <laughs>
10: And, Judy,
3: tell us about your involvement.
10: Uh, I'm Judy, and Randall and I started Somewhere Co. a couple years ago, like you said. And it's mainly to promote um, upstate uh, artists and designers and makers. Uh, Randall is an artist and designer, and he makes furniture. And I've been in the arts um, my whole adult life. And uh, we just like promoting uh, local people, mostly contemporary artists, that are doing really cool, innovative work, and um, we want to get those out to the public and and have people come and see them and, most importantly, buy their work and support local artists. Uh, It's such a great driver for the community, and um, it's it's just a fun thing to go out and see, too.
3: Yes, and the event that you're having on the 1st
10: is textile, correct? Correct. We have a group textile show, Called Color Thread Cloth, and uh, it is opening on the first, February the first, and we'll have the opening obviously at the Derby. It'll be up in the hallways there, and people can come and meet the artists. Uh, it will be up for three months. We're going to do an opening party and a closing party, and we also also are going to do some artist talks throughout that three months, where we bring the artists in and let them tell us about their processes, how they work. Uh, and just have an interesting talk in uh, Bar Delphine at the Derby. And how how did you decide on focusing on textiles? Well, <clears throat>
4: pardon me. Uh, we knew we wanted to start with a group show, and I've been dabbling in textiles, so some of it is uh, self-serving. And mm-hmm. we also know a lot of artists up here that work in textiles. And so we just thought that would be a nice introduction to the series of piece shows that will be taking place at the Derby.
3: And what kind of textiles will these different artists be? Each, each, displaying? Artist,
4: works, each artist works differently. Uh, we have some natural dyers and we have a weaver who uh, Charles Blanchard, who has the shop called Dyeberry Weaver in Arisberg. Oh, we have yes. a few pieces uh-huh. of his. Uh, Derek Melander is a well-known uh, artist that works in textiles. Around. Does he
10: does he work in clothing? Yeah, I think yeah. it's recycled clothing. Recycled uh-huh. clothing Yeah, I yeah his work is yeah. really interesting. Yeah. We're going to be showing some of his um uh textile rubbings that are really cool, but he had a show at Cass um I think last year or the year before and he does these really like large monumental uh sculptures out of recycled textiles. So and-
4: yeah, and then we have an also a local artist who's a quilter. And then Charles Wilkin is mostly – oh, sorry, Kathy Grady is the, the quilter that lives in Narrowsburg. And Charles Wilkin is a well-known uh, graphic designer and collage artist who has, over the past number of years, started dabbling in textiles, sort of assemblages with textiles and objects. We have uh, Megan Udell, who is a fantastic artist who works in fiber and does embroidery and knitting and things like that. And then Megan Newbeck is the natural dyer.
3: Wow. Yeah. Some of these folks I'm familiar with. So I know that, um, it's going to create some interest and excitement.
10: It's a broad range of textile work. So I think people find that really interesting. All these different ways that these different artists use, you know, textiles and dyeing techniques and weaving techniques and, and quilting techniques and all of these uh, interesting things that you can get out of fabric and,
3: and fabric and textiles, um, it's taken a long time for that to be recognized as art, mm-hmm. a very, very long time. I mean, some think it was because it was women's women's work and it wasn't valued. Um, but I remember as I learned about it and grew and saw work that was simply phenomenal – that used the handiwork that, that women did. Absolutely, you know? yeah. So I think it's wonderful to have watched how that's progressed and that also how it intersects with waste. No, I would say I'd be amiss if
8: I didn't um, tell you how we got together.
3: Oh, right. Yes. yes.
8: Um, I very much am community-focused, and I certainly planned on being uh, – I wanted events. I This came about because I had a bunch of art that I needed hung. I thought I was going to do it by myself. Okay. <laughs> and then, yeah, well, when you own a new business, certainly you find out that you can't do everything by yourself. <laughs> I put the word out in the community um for someone that knew how to professionally hang art. And here came Randall. <laughs> and... The whole thing started because I have these long hallways and I really – budget was done. <laughs> uh-huh. And I was trying to figure out what what can I do with these hallways that would be engaging and, and, and not feel so empty. And I expressed that to Randall and I think just right away you might have said, well, what if we had some local artists and Randall and Judy – Discussed that and came back to me and I'm just, I mean, I'm thrilled. I'm a lover of the arts. Um, I'm happy to be able to support it. It's exciting that I have a space to do that. You know, I'd be lying if I thought that that was the original plan. I'm, But I'm really excited that that I'm able to give space to all these artists to show their work.
3: Well, I can see you're saying all of this with a glint in your eye and a (laughs) smile on your face. So you're you're definitely excited. And I think that excitement will be shared.
1: And that was Valerie Mancy speaking to Randall Lane and Judy Brown of Somewhere Co. And it's Avi Kravitz, the new owner of the Darby. I misspoke introducing him earlier. Apologies. There's more information about the Darby at the and more information about the color thread cloth textile show opening tomorrow at 4 30 at the Derby in Beach Lake, just across the river from Narrowsburg at the somewhere co Instagram page. It's some dash Co. We'll take a break and more art this time at the Wayne County arts Alliance featuring all local youth artists debuting at the Wayne County arts Alliance coming up this weekend. We'll learn more. This is radio Chatskill.
3: Radio Catskill supporters include. The Sterling Business and Technology Park, located at Exit 17 on Interstate 84 in Northeast Pennsylvania, offering opportunities to locate or expand businesses on property zoned for manufacturing and other uses. More information at sterlingbusinesspark.com. And listeners like you, who donate at wjffradio.org. I'm Amy Goodman, host of Democracy Now!, independent, grassroots global news. Our reporting includes breaking daily news headlines and in-depth interviews with people on the front lines of the world's most pressing issues. People speaking for themselves, providing unique and sometimes provocative perspectives on global events. Democracy Now!, weekdays at noon, right here on Radio Catskill.
1: Welcome back to Radio Chat Skill. I'm Tim Bruno. The Wayne County Arts Alliance Gallery on Main Street in Honesdale reopens for 2024 on Friday. The first exhibition of the year is called Dream, and it's an exhibition of work created by young artists, kindergarten through 12th, from the Paul Pack area, Western Wayne, Wayne Highland School Districts, and the Cooperage Project. Joining us now with more is Debbie Pollack from the Wayne County Arts Alliance. Good morning, Debbie. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks for being here. And this sounds great. Thanks for having me. Yes, of course. This sounds great. (laughs) Uh, A student exhibition. Can you tell us about how um, this exhibit uh, began?
9: Well, um, it began with just a dream, actually. That's (laughs) the the dream of the dream, um, which is that uh, when the Arts Alliance purchased the building at 959 Main Street, um, which has been a dream of the Arts Alliance for ever and ever, that they have a home, we have a home. Um, We started having students from the varying school districts come in and visit the gallery and look at exhibitions of art that were hanging here and sort of engage with the art and then make art themselves in the gallery. And the the program was really fun for everyone wonderful for us at the gallery and then great for the students obviously and the art teachers who were really wonderful and excited and we just started a relationship that kind of grew and we decided with the help of AM Skyer which is the insurance company in in Holly who is sponsoring the show with the help of of vet those people and the really a, Whole bunch of community members, we decided let's have this show and let's have it be the first show of 2024. And uh, hopefully, it's the first of uh, the yearly student show, which had happened a little bit. Uh, we had a show called Celebrating Creativity that was kind of happening at the Dorflinger and varying places. But this is a real dedicated show to students that will be up for a whole month and we're all very excited about
1: it. Yeah, The opening reception is Friday from 4.30 to 6.30, and it runs through February 24th at the gallery. Um, you mentioned that the partnership with the Wayne County School District uh, started a, a little while ago. When did you start with this particular exhibit going to the schools and the students and the teachers to start getting them um, going?
9: Well, so probably I guess it was September that I started uh, thinking about it, um, I was a teacher in Philadelphia, art teacher for many years, so I I know how busy art teachers are, so I knew we had to get going pretty early, and I just contacted uh, first Kathy Higgins, who's the Honesdale High School art teacher, and a bunch of teachers that I know in Honesdale, they were all excited about it, so I, you know, thought Dream was the really great like jumping-off point and sort of inspirational word that can go to a lot of places. I wrote three different lesson plans that I sent out to teachers, asking inviting them to participate and saying these are just ideas, but you certainly can, you know, dream up your own lessons. And they kind of used it as used those lessons as kind of the idea. The idea was. Three different ways to think about dreams and dreaming uh dreaming as the as what we think of you know when you're sleeping at night or daydreaming in the daytime that imagination kind of dream then the dream of for the world which children are always thinking about how can we help you know peace and a billion other ways that kids think about how can this world be a better place, dream of that. And then the third one was a kind of a mixture of things that was had to do with Tibetan prayer flags, which are kind of dreams for the world in their own way. But um, we used the poetry of Langston Hughes, who wrote, he wrote 32 dream poems. And I sent a bunch of them to teachers to give kids and inspi- inspired by, po- you know, who are interested in the written word, a way to kind of grab on and make art about poetry. So there's all different kind of vantage points that people are coming from, and it really just came together. I'm just so excited because I'm <laughs> seeing the work for the first time as the teachers brought it in on Sunday and Monday, and, you know, I've just been dreaming about it, but now... It's come into fruition, and the work is just beautiful. And, you know, children come up with their own dream ideas. So that's what I'm seeing.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about some of the uh, pieces of art that have been uh, particularly striking to you and, and uh, excited? you're excited Indeed. about?
9: Well, I mean, I'm sort of excited about It's hard to pick, but there's some very incredibly beautiful pieces uh, pastel and colored pencil drawings from uh, AP artists at Western Wayne that have, uh, they're, th- these are really kind of seeming to be that kind of internal dream idea. Um, one has multiple views of the same, the artist herself, I imagine. Um, I can't remember the name of the piece, but it had to do with kind of uh, becoming new. That idea, and she drew herself in many different ways on in the one picture plane. Um, Landscapes that have a lot of sort of deep color. Um, Then there's a. Actually, the Cooperage project did a a dream shoe project where the kids kind of reinvented shoes as though stepping into a dream. Oh. <laughs> That's pretty cool. The Cooperage um, in Homesdale was also part of the project, the Pop-Up Club, and they're, um, they have a teen art lounge on Fridays. So it's been a real community effort. And as I said, you know, I, uh, thanks to A.M. Skyer, thanks to the teachers, thanks to... Really the kids who just came, you know, just with ideas and amazing like vitality and freshness that really is only possible when you're really a kid, you know, and you know, all things new kind of. So I'm, I'm thrilled. I hope, um, I'm just hopeful that as many kids come as they possibly can on Friday you know, kids have to rely on grown-ups to get to places. So I think their families will, will join us at the reception, 4.30 to 6.30 on Friday here. So we're excited.
1: We mentioned that the exhibition uh, is from young artists, kids from kindergarten age to 12th grade, from the mm-hmm. Wayne County Schools and the Cooperage Project. Are there kids from kindergarten age who are in the exhibit?
9: Oh yeah, we've oh, got wow. uh, we've got a the, the um, Starbridge, Star, Starbridge Primary Center has kindergarten work. Um, we've got Western Wayne kindergarten, um, beautiful color. Um, then we've got first graders who did portraits, um, and the portraits their are self-portraits, and then they're, they've written the dream that the, accompanies the portrait. So we hear about, I mean, just things like kids, uh, you know, the dream is everything from, I dream that there won't be any hungry kids. And I dream that someday I'll have one was, I dream, I'm dreaming that someday I'll have five pets. I loved <laughs> that. <laughs> it was very specific. Fox. Yeah. I hope she gets it. Yeah. I hope she gets some yeah.
1: You know, so, what, yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about the reaction from the, the arts teachers in the schools. You, we hear about arts education funding getting slashed. And, and while arts education is, uh, you know, plays a critical role in schooling, still it seems as if some education systems don't hold it as high regard. So what was the reaction from arts teachers when you guys came to them with this idea to, uh, as a way of being able to display this great artwork from their students?
9: Um, I think that art teachers are. The excitement is daily, and I, I'm just imagining because I was one for a long time. We get to be in the classroom with the kids. We know what um, how important it is for every child that gets to make art, and and that's what it should be: every child making art, you know, in school. And 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 some kids just don't have art, and. I think we're kind of used to, and I'm I'm not disparaging the sports programs; they're real equally important. But I think, in in terms of how the schools function, sometimes those programs get the you know sh- have the light shined on them more than the arts programs, um, and equally important to the children because where sometimes you know a kid feels unable in certain ways, like in scholastically in some classes, the art room is the place where kids can shine and feel that self-esteem stuff that, you know, grows them. Um, so I think for the art teachers to have this, I know that Kathy Higgins, the the Homestead High School art teacher, said to me, she's told, asked, uh, invited, made sure every administrator in Holmesdale knows about the show because she feels so strongly that the kids are celebrated by this whole school in this way. And hopefully it'll just be a growing thing where every year there's more, um, more interest and power given to that arts curric- the arts curriculum that these teachers work incredibly hard. You know, they're teaching everyone in the school probably at some point during the year. And then there are the kids, as I said, like in, at Western Wayne, the AP kids, those advanced placement art kids that they actually visited the gallery last um, this fall, um, a group of them uh, with Justin Hayden, their teacher, and they are such serious artists. I mean, the work they're doing is remarkable. The work he's doing is remarkable with the kids. And many of them told me they're, they're on their way to art school, um, which some of them had heard they they had gotten money to, to go. And, you know, that's the beginning. Um, well, the beginning is kindergarten. Let's face it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where, where every kid should be having art every day. Yeah. That's, that's really my, I mean, I, I come from a... I'm, I might be a little biased, yeah, maybe. but that's what I believe. <laughs> but it's a good bias. Uh,
1: Debbie, we yeah. have to we have to go, so I'll remind people that the uh, Dream Exhibit is a showcase created by students in Wayne County. It's going to be at the Wayne County Arts Alliance. The opening reception is Friday from 4.30 to 6.30, and the exhibit runs through February 24th. There's more information at waynecountyartsalliance.org. Debbie Pollack from Wayne County Arts Alliance, thanks for joining us this morning.
9: Thank you so much for having me. I hope everyone comes. We're going to have milk and cookies, too. So that'll, that's a big, <laughs> a big draw. <laughs> <laughs> all right.
1: Thank you. That's all for this edition of Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. Thanks for listening.
7: Radio Catskill supporters include SUNY Sullivan, a community college in the Sullivan Catskills focused on preparing students for the future. More information at Edu. Livingston Manor. Dining, shopping, and the arts at the Gateway to the Catskill Park. Livingston Manor, ny.com. And listeners like you,
3: who donate at WJFFradio.org. I'm Maria Hinojosa. This week on Latino USA, a conversation with Jay Johnson, the former Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security under President Obama.
5: Are there things that I would do differently With the benefit of hindsight, yes, of
1: course.
8: But we're always smarter in retrospect. That's This Week on Latino USA. Thursday
7: afternoon at 1 on Radio Catskill.
1: WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello, streaming online at wjffradio.org. This is Radio Catskill, local news, culture, and NPR. Today's forecast, a bit of freezing drizzle stopping uh, this morning, and then cloudy, a high of 36. Look for a trace of snow tomorrow, high 40. Tonight's low 25. Uh, We've got On Point coming up next. You're listening to Radio Catskill. It's 11 o'clock.